millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecutor. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are on the road this week, uh, actually in Asia, and we have uh, some more one-name guests. We are meeting with Richard and Jeanette. They are former gospel workers inside China, and we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about their work in China. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how their time in China came to an end, because it is quite an amazing story of oppression, but also an amazing story of how God came through in the midst of that. I know you'll be encouraged. Richard and Jeanette, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're happy to be here. I didn't, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty exciting. So never been on the radio before. Let's start at the very beginning. How did you end up, how did God call you to China? How did God call you to missions and then maybe yeah. call you to China? And give us a little bit of background on, on how you ended up there doing gospel work. So for me, it was in college, uh, I heard um, John Piper preach a sermon on a passion for the holiness of God on a DVD uh, when it was my sophomore year in college. And that kind of began to stir affections in me just to wake up and quit being foolish and to live for, live for Christ and let the gospel impact my life. And so, again, you know, just studying his word and reading, taking part of local campus ministry and then I got invited to, went to a, a conference back then called Passion, and he preached two sermons on suffering and the sovereignty of God. Uh, how is God glorified through suffering? And uh, for me, that was just a really impactful time to hear that. And I was really moved. And, and then he, he's like, does anybody want to commit to going overseas? And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to do that. I can do that. And... Um, so at the time in college, I'm planning to go to medical school. So it was during the summer break, I was working full time. And so I took my vacation, went to Bangkok, Thailand and served for, uh, it was about 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, I just kind of was really broken and knelt down and just prayed, Lord, uh, if, if you'll use me to get impact like lostness, because we encountered students who never heard of Jesus, didn't know who he was, the gospel. So I was like, you know what, if you'll use me, I'll, I'll give my life to serving you wherever I can and wherever it's possible. And so I, uh, I did, I came back and, uh, decided I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving him in some way. And I didn't know where we just knew it was going to be overseas. And, uh, and so at that point, that's kind of when I began to look around and saying, all right, now I want to do cross-cultural work. I want to plant churches, serve his church, but I don't want to do it alone. Yeah, mine was around the same time, also in college, um, just through a series of events. I think the Lord was softening my heart towards missions and just helping me see his heart for the nations. And I had an opportunity my senior year of college to go on a short-term trip to China. And it was, yeah, basically during that trip that the Lord just helped me to see a vast amount of lostness. And um, kind of confirmed my calling to missions. I was reading through 
exodus at the time and was really just feeling inadequate to be able to go and serve overseas. And it was through um, the Lord calling Moses. Um, He was offering a lot of the same excuses of, you know, I'm not an eloquent speaker or um, I can't do this, um, that the that the Lord used that text to just remind me that just as he was with Moses and would be with him as he led God's people, that he would be with me too if he was calling me to do something for him. And so I wound up graduating and went back and served in China for two years right after that and um, came back and through that time uh, had started Dating, quote unquote, yeah, from the sky, <laughs> long distance, yeah. yeah, and came back and we got married. So we got married and then I started seminary, and then about a year and a half later, we got an invitation to join overseas. And I mean, really, I didn't care where we went, but I was like, oh, she already speaks Mandarin, so you know, this is like, gotta have this start, yeah, this kind of makes it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So we, we we officially took a role in China and uh, and we landed, I mean, so we went and um spent you know the first few years it's just a lot of language learning a lot of headaches drinking a lot of soda a lot of coffee uh spending time in awkward situations but the lord you know those are always the best times actually and the most awkward but through that time yeah how much did you think china's a communist country china's a closed nation you can't go in and say hey we're here to plant a church how much did you think about risk and danger and this could be a pathway that ends in a jail cell. Yeah, you know, uh, so everyone thinks it's hap- that everyone knows it happens, but nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. And so you kind of go in, and I mean, I'm like in my like 20s at this point. I was like, you know what? Probably not. And uh, you kind of know, but then there's also a part of you like, yeah, I hope I can get it because then I'm like, then I, I got some sort of badge. I got you know whatever. It's not a good thinking, but. You know, it was always a reality. Like, you know about it, you hear about it, you read about it. But I think you're just kind of like, well, if it happens, it happens. And and I think in the back of your mind, it's probably not going to happen to me. Did you have a sense of, like, we're Americans? This, this is not going to happen to us. We're Americans. Chinese Christians get arrested, yes, but we're Americans. Or not so much. Um, no. Not so much like we're Americans, but I know like foreigners are just treated differently. I mean, because foreigners getting in trouble, it creates an international incident. It's not just Americans. And so I didn't, I mean, I didn't go in with that attitude. I mean, I think we're just like, you know what? Like there's probably a lot more scrupulous towards us because foreigners, you got passport, there's just sensitivities right. and things like that. So, yeah. So you mentioned you're trying to learn the language. What was lifelike in those early years in China and what what was your interaction with people around you and <laughs> no children that was what it was like <laughs> uh, we ate out a lot <laughs> just lots of time I think spending with our tutors mm-hmm. usually in the morning in the afternoons it was a lot of listening to recordings that we had made for class on top of just trying to get out and meet local people and practice talking. Yeah, I went and sat, I remember going and sitting at this honey shop that was across the street from our thing, and this girl that worked there, and she had n- nothing to do, and she loved it. I'd just go in there and talk, and her Mandarin was really clear, it was really nice, and so I'd just sit and talk, and we talked about honey, and then it branched, and I'd share the gospel with her, and uh, yeah, you just kind of developed these kind of route, routes, and I'd go to markets and just talk to people, and 
listen to them. So it was fun, fun times. Yeah, you spend, like, you just find, like, your language grows the more time you spend uh, with people. And so we just always tried to have people in our home, go out to eat, go hang out, do things. So, yeah. How long did it take before you felt like, with the language, you could understand and have a spiritual conversation or something? <laughs> uh, that's a process. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I thought in a year and a half, I was like, oh, I've got this. And then you get to like five years and you're like, oh, I've got this. And then I remember at seven going, oh, I've really got this. And so there's different levels yeah. to it. I mean, you can have a spiritual conversation, but not beyond that. And, and if we're looking at like the role of discipleship and discipling the heart and understanding things, like that took seven years. I mean, until I could, he could, you know, and, and the thing that drove me always was something I heard early on. If you're sitting there for the pastor and you're talking and they confess that they have committed adultery to you. You better understand what they say and you better know how to respond biblically. And for me, that always pushed me to want, like I wanted us to have language that, that can do that. Right. And so, yeah. Which probably kept you studying all the time. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> like you never yeah. feel like you've arrived. And... You have to see it as a lifetime goal. I mean, like, yeah. it just is. No matter where you are, no matter what country you're in, like, there's always things that we can continue. Even now, I'll be like, how did I not know this word right. up to this point? And, yeah, I mean, the Lord just, yeah, he puts people in our life and we hear certain things. And so I think always listening to people, listening, being proactive, look up words. I mean, we, I mean, we stopped formal class after a few years. And, um, and then it just comes through self-learning, listening to people as they talk and... Yeah, working through things. Yeah. So you're in China. You have work to do because again, you can't be there and say, "Hey, we're church planners, we're missionaries, whatever." Um, how was that? How was balancing sort of your work responsibilities and your gospel responsibilities, yeah. if I can ask it that way? Well, the first seven years, we were just on a tourist visa. So, it, I mean, you go out and talk to people. That's just your job. That's, that's why you're here. So it made sense. Once I was on T, like, there wasn't really much to it. I mean, honestly, like, our the platform that we had, the job that I had, it really didn't require a lot of time. Okay. Stuff, so it didn't. So it's actually, in some ways, perfect for Yeah. Yeah. So tourist visa meaning at... Did you have to go out like every three months? Every yeah. every ninety days, I think one year we were allotted one hundred twenty. That was great. Um, yeah. So we would every time, yeah, just all the family pack out, up, ride out. a bus overnight. Oh my, on a yeah. bus! Oh, at first it was on a bus overnight, and <laughs> then then fast trains, and so you've been there several years. You start to hear that some foreigners are being booted out. Some foreigners, when their visa comes up for renewal, it doesn't get renewed. Did you start to feel like it's getting tougher here? Or did you again kind of think, well, you know, that happens to other people. It's probably not going to happen to us. How, how, did you, how did you start to hear that it seems like things are getting tighter for people like us, yeah. outsiders who are here for gospel purposes? Yeah, I mean, you start to catch wind from colleagues and friends, you know, hey, did you hear about this happening? You kind of have to go on lockdown. It, it got increasingly stressful, to be honest. And uh, every year you knew around October, 
it was going to happen. Like every year, it was some just this round. I mean, starting about 2017, uh, October, people kind of kicked out. 2018, same. 2019, same. And so you just. You kind of now, need, what's the what's the significance of October? Is there a uh, well? There's national holiday October first. It's kind of the golden week. It's like their independence. Yeah. Okay. So it would always center around that point in time. Interesting. And uh, you know, finishing up the year, get reports to submit before the big Congress and all that stuff. And so every year uh, around that time, that's when things would come down. Yeah. And so you just kind of knew you kind of live. You get past that. All right, I've got another year probably. We'll see what happens, and then you kind of go about the year, and it, it got increasingly stressful, and um, because you just don't know, you know, it, like I'm not buying that. If we get kicked out next year, I'm out five hundred dollars, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we can make the old TV work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you it gets it's stressful, and uh, it becomes more difficult to want to. You almost get paralyzed at times, and. Um, but then there's times you're like, you know what? Like, there's a lot of freedom. You know what? Like, we're on a limited time. And while it's stressful, it helped us to kind of gain perspective of the Lord only has us here for a certain amount of time. I originally thought, oh, we'll be here like 30 years. No big, no big problem. Big deal. But now it's like, I might be here next year. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. And so it begins to hone in. What am I doing that would multiply myself and impact the kingdom after I'm gone. And so you have to take a much less me-centered approach to say, how or who can I invest in and help them grow in Christ so that when I'm gone, they continue to grow in Christ. Yeah. How did you think about your own, like your documents and your platform and your your personal security thing in light of, you know, foreigners are being told, don't come back. Did you like constantly think about it? You know, is our paperwork in order? Do we have, if they start asking us questions, do we know all yeah. the answers? Um, I mean, I scanned everything in. <laughs> <laughs> I had everything scanned in and we had a go back. We had, yeah, I mean, I, I, had a, I had a drawer yeah. that had all of our documents, birth certificates, everything that was in a couple zipped pouches that I could easily just, could grab, just grab and we can go. go. Yeah. I had money stashed away. And, and so I didn't have clothes or anything, but, uh, but I knew like the things we needed to have, I kept on one drawer. Yeah. And most of the foreigners who were not being allowed back in or were being kicked out, it wasn't like a big incident. They weren't necessarily, you know, arresting them and putting them on a plane. They were just simply saying, you know, your time is up. We don't want you here or it's time for you to go. You've got seven days or you've yeah. got whatever day, which is still pretty traumatic for yeah. people who've lived there for years and years and years. But it wasn't a matter of, you know, we're marching people out in handcuffs. No. Did that affect your kind of your thought process? At, at some point along here, did the idea that this is not going to happen to us become, hey, this this could happen to us. Yeah. It might happen to us tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. After about 2018, after that fall, I was like, this could probably happen to us. I, it's not if, it's when. And yeah. that's kind of the mentality. So kind of a change of mindset. Yeah. And it just got, it was starting to get more serious. Some incidents that happened in the country that I'd heard about. And so it just kind of became real. It's like, all right, well, we're just going to put the hand to the plow until, until they show up. 2020 comes, COVID. Mm-hmm. 
China lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how how did that affect your lives and how did that affect your ministry when as I kind of the whole country just yeah. shut down. Dude, I remember like the early days when they would walk around with big speakers and like blasting like COVID is bad, get in your house. And we were the only people in our complex who would get out and walk around without a mask. I was like, I'm not wearing a mask. Like nobody's out here. Why would why would I? And at first you couldn't even buy a mask. We didn't have masks. Wow. Then there was panic buying. And then they wouldn't let you in a restaurant or a, or a store, Walmart, without a mask. And we didn't have masks. And by God's grace, I mean, I was just like asking friends, like, do you have a pack of masks? I'll pay. I'll just give you, I'll give you more than it's worth. And this local sister had a friend of a friend of a friend who was a doctor who got us a pack from the hospital for free. And so... I used that one, and I used the same mask so much, I ended up getting an infection on my face. <laughs> so it was embarrassing. It's just, these are problems. And uh, so that's all we had. And yep. so we went to Walmart, and I would go to Walmart every three days, and I would buy flour. I would buy, I would buy as much non-perishable items as I could because I was like, this, this could go in full right. lockdown. I want right. food for two weeks. and. So I just do it, and they wouldn't deliver to our house at that point. So I just get on my little bike, and we'd ride down. I'd get as much as I can carry back, and I'd ride back home. And that that was my routine. And and during that time, I mean, we try to take it as like, all right, the Lord has given us this chance to kind of uh, stay home, read, reflect, rest, and prepare. And I was like, I'm going to prepare to teach. So I was like, I'm going to prepare to host a uh, missions training, and. Um, and so that's what I use the time for. And, you know, a lot of phone calls, a lot of uh, online stuff. And, and that worked out well. I mean, it was a good season for that. And uh, and then we would, I remember we went on a date one time. Starbucks had just opened. So we go to, we get a coffee. And then, like, they were like, you have to, you can't sit together at the same table. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, it's my wife. And they were like, well, she has to sit over there. And you have to sit here six feet apart at a table. And I was like... If I took my mask off and gave her a kiss right now, can we sit together? And they're like, no. So we literally on a date sat six feet apart and looked at each other and was like, this is ridiculous. So that was just life. That was life in China during COVID. And people were scared. Uh, a lot of locals were really scared that they, because they knew they're not being told the whole information, right. which is true. And um, so what we did, it's like, all right, like we can either be fearful all the time or we can just enjoy one another. And so I photocopied our our communities like pass. I made like 20 more passes and passed them out to all of our friends and we just invited people over and they could just come into our apartment, no problems. And they had a pass and that was great. Like able able for us to like minister, shepherd people, love on them. They were scared to death to come over. And once, and once I got them over there and they would come, they would be like, all right, we can do this. And so it was a good time to shepherd and you begin to see fear in people, sin coming out, just you know, scared and minister the gospel. And, uh, and so, yeah. And then we spent the time, like when we hosted teaching the, the organ, the mission organization, I mean, we just hold down in a, they lived in an apartment for two months and I would just go over there and teach and go come home. And it was in, I mean, it was like less, it was in the same complex and right. just a different up the way a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of, a lot of teaching, a lot of thinking about God and his word. Yeah. I know during COVID, a lot of foreign people left China. I think China was kind of happy to see them go. You guys decided we're going to stay as long as the store's open. Let's let's stay. Let's be here. 
then the day came when the door closed, <laughs> and and quite suddenly it closed. Can you kind of share that story? Yeah. So I mean, we decided through COVID, we're like, you know what? Like, we're gonna suffer with those who suffer. We're not leaving, and uh, we did not. You know, I didn't. It, it was just hard to tell how bad this was gonna be, how long. I mean, I, we didn't know, and so nobody knew it. Yeah, and so we just ended up. We ended up just sitting, staying, and, um, you know, like, so you're talking five months later. We, we wrote, we were in, we've been trying to get plane tickets to get out because we were just burned out and couldn't, and we finally did, and then two days later, like, uh, I was on a phone call, everybody's out, and I keep getting a phone call uh, on my cell phone, a uh, phone call from the uh, management agency for our complex, and they're like, you need to come, there's a pipe leak burst. And we need to get in your apartment. Well, this wasn't weird because a week before, a pipe literally did burst in our apartment. The hose blew off and blew water all down into our neighbors. Um, and they had to shut our water off in the middle of the night. I was asleep when this went down. So I, that seemed perfectly plausible. Yeah. And outside, go out there, open the door, boom, 25 police come bust. They come raiding in. And so at that point, I was like, it's over. That's what I thought. And they were just yelling. And Now, are these policemen in uniform? Or you, you yes. just instantly knew they were police? Yeah, they're all in uniform. Okay. They all had their formal uniform. And, uh, cameras, their video and everything. Kind of see. Um, so they're just like, put your hands down. You know, Give me your devices. We're from the national police. And we're here to tell you that uh, they were from the Bureau of Implementing the Law. They're like, you're already guilty. We're just here to implement the law. I'm like, okay, well, it's all in Mandarin and I didn't get time to think. So I was like, you're going to have to speak English because that's my language. So I just needed time to kind of process everything they're saying and think about how am I going to respond. And so they bring this, this guy up here and he starts to translate and it's just, it's horrible. And I was like, this is just so much easier if I just speak Mandarin. And, uh, <laughs> because his English was terrible and, uh, Basically, they're like, we know you're guilty. We know who you are, who you work for, what you're doing here. And we're here to tell you you're guilty. And we're here to kind of like, basically, this is to how the next few weeks goes is up to you. Whether or not you, it's bad and hard or it's, it's, it's easier. And so I just listened. Don't, don't respond. Don't retaliate. Uh, I knew, I mean, in, in my mind, I'm like, it's over. I mean, when these, when this level of crew walks in your door, it's over. And um, so, so basically at that point, we're, we're leaving China. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. we don't know how soon and we don't know how painful, but our mission work here is done. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was over. Our guests this week have been Richard and Jeanette. We are cutting into that story at a low point. Richard and Jeanette went to China with high hopes, and it all seemed so disappointing that night when the police knocked on their door. But God wasn't done with Richard and Jeanette's ministry, and we're not done with their story. We'll pick back up next week and find out how God has continued to lead them. Richard and Jeanette's story encourages each of us to boldly follow God's leading, even if, from a human perspective, it involves risk. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. 
As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.